on Friday, May 30th, 1806, two men took their positions 24 feet apart in Logan County, Kentucky. They had actually traveled across the state line to settle their dispute. The first man's name, Charles Dickinson, a well-known man because he was known as the best shot in Tennessee. He also had a reputation for drunken heroics and reckless boasting. That was actually why he was here. Charles had insulted the other man's wife. The other man, future president, seventh president, Andrew Jackson. And Jackson never backed away from a fight and he also was known for hard insults. Their tongues had brought them here and they were prepared to face the consequences. Are you ready? Asked Jackson second. I'm ready, shouted Dickinson. I am ready, shouted Jackson. And the man yelled, fire! Dickinson was the quicker. He fired first and the ball caught Jackson square in his chest. Jackson grabbed his chest as a puff of smoke arose, but he remained standing. Dickinson was horrified. He yelled, have I missed him? And he took a step back. Back to your mark, sir, the second yelled at the dumbstruck Dickinson. Dickinson, Dickinson returned to his mark with the realization he's now entirely at Jackson's mercy. Now, Jackson might refuse the shot or even fire up into the air. Many duels had actually ended this way with both men deciding at this point no one should die and coming to an agreement to save both life and honor. But Jackson had made a promise to kill Dickinson. So he raised his gun and he pulled the trigger and the gun went click as the hammer stopped at half cock, a misfire. Dickinson waited, maybe Jackson would reconsider. But Jackson pulled back the hammer, aimed and refired. Dickinson was struck just below the ribs. His friends ran over and caught him as he fell. They tried to stop the blood flow, but the ball had gone straight through, through his back as well and left a gaping hole. Charles Dickinson bled to death at age 27. His cause of death, his tongue. The next time you see a $20 bill, remember that it's God's mercy that Jackson's picture is there. Jackson's life was filled with conflicts because he couldn't control his tongue. And it was costly for him too. He left the, lived the rest of his life with a bullet lodged beside his heart and it caused severe hemorrhaging throughout his life. Now we may be thankful that we don't live in the Wild West in the days of constant shootouts, but the Apostle James will tell us in chapter three that nothing has changed in human history. We may not walk around with pistols, but what we are all packing is no less destructive. I invite you at this time to turn to James chapter three. We're gonna read the first 12 verses. Now hear the word of our God from James chapter three. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, 
He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by very strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a while back, I looked up a list of the top 10 most hazardous jobs in America. So what jobs do you think would make the list? Logging workers were number one. Others that made the list were pilots, roofers, steel workers, and truck divers. You know what didn't make the list? Teachers. Teachers did not make the top 10, and I think the Apostle James would be shaking his head at this oversight. Because listen to what he writes at the start of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle also his whole body. <laughs> James says being a teacher is a hazardous occupation that not many of us should venture into. So what is James' concern for those who teach? Well, all of us, he says, without exception, are stumblers, and we stumble in all sorts of ways. But James highlights here how we stumble with what we say. James is saying, and I want us to hear this, that our tongues are the most powerful muscle in our body. Our tongues are the most powerful muscle in our body. And God will judge all of us for stumbling, but God will judge teachers more severely because a teacher, by the use of their tongue, can cause many others to stumble in addition to just himself. Which kind of puts me in a paradox right now. Because I am inviting judgment upon myself as I seek to teach you why not many should do what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Our tongues quickly get us into trouble. James has actually already said a lot about speaking, hasn't he? In James 1.19, he says that every one of you be quick to listen, slow to speak. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why? Because 
We don't come hardwired this way. <laughs> None of us do. We are wired to have quick tongues, thinking, oh, when's it going to be my turn to talk? When's it going to be my turn to talk? I have something important to say. And James would say, whoa there, whoa. You're chomping at the bit. We all need to be slow in our speech because we all stumble in many ways. And then James says something really remarkable. James says that if a person doesn't stumble in what they say, they're perfect. That they can keep every other part of their life in check, their whole body. Think about that. If you can get a hold of this muscle and control it, you can be perfect. Do you believe that there could be a perfect person because of a trained tongue? Actually, you can. Want proof? There's a scene in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, where the religious leaders send temple guards to go and arrest this teacher who's in the temple teaching without a license, without their permission. The guards go, but then they return empty-handed. And the leaders ask in verse 45, Why didn't you bring him in? And the guards answer, No one ever spoke the way this man does. Who are they listening to? Jesus. They heard Jesus' words, and his gracious words caused them to forget their whole job. <laughs> no one had ever spoken like Jesus before, and they had a change of heart about their own life purpose. Why? Because Jesus had a trained tongue and a perfect life that followed. Now you may say, well, Joel, Jesus was holy God. Of course. My answer to you is that Jesus was also fully man. Fully man who had given a well-instructed tongue by his father as a boy. How did Jesus get a trained tongue? We find the evidence in the only scene in Jesus' boyhood years. Do you remember it? Jesus goes missing at age 12 in Jerusalem. His parents are looking, where's he at, where's he at, and where do they find him? In the temple. In the temple. And they say, what are you doing here, Jesus? And Jesus says what I would never say to my parents. <laughs> Did you not know where I would be at my father's business? I'd get my, hand tie, my hide tanned for that. But Jesus was about his father's business. What was his father's business? He was listening and asking questions of the Bible teachers in the temple. Luke 2.46. This is the only glimpse we have into Jesus' younger life. And it's him listening to his father through the Bible teachers. The Bible's silence on Jesus' younger years is due to his younger life being a listening life. Jesus wasn't talking. And it was in Isaiah 50 verse 4 life. I want to encourage you to write this verse down, Isaiah 50, verse 4, and to learn this one. It's actually the opening of the second servant song in Isaiah. And here's what it says. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Do you see this picture of Jesus' younger life? The father wakened his son morning by morning, wakened his ears to instruct his willing son as Jesus opened the scriptures. Jesus' younger life was about solitary silences, not speaking sentences. 
Solitary silence is not speaking sentences. You see, Jesus was quick to listen, slow to speak. Jesus shows us a good teacher must first be a God listener. A God listener. And we see the result. As an adult, his words were good for building up. For fitting, they were always fitting the occasion, able to grace the hearer, which is why these temple guards, and I would argue billions of souls ever since, have found rest in Jesus' words, have found in their weariness support when they're discouraged, strength when they're faint, hope when they're depressed, cheer in Jesus' words to those who are grieving. Jesus was a perfect person because of a trained tongue. That's why James can write this. He's seen his younger, his half-brother. Now, James is not saying, though, that you and I can be perfect because James adds in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. However, I think there's an Isaiah 50, verse 4 principle that you and I can participate in. We can train our tongues by letting God awaken our ears each and every day. I would really encourage this because what a delight it will be for you to have a word for a weary soul. Do you know any weary souls out there who could use a life-giving word? Can you imagine just having that word and being able to give it to them? Friends, your tongue can do remarkable things, remarkable things because it is powerful, the most powerful muscle in your body, as James will go on to say in verses 3 to 5. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Did you get up this morning thinking that your tongue was this powerful? It steers your whole course of life. But let me ask you a question. Is it the control center? Now, at first glance, we might think so. A large, mighty horse is controlled by a very small bit in the mouth. A great big sailing ship steered by a very small rudder. So also the tongue, it's a bridle for the whole body. So is the tongue the control center? I see head shaken good. And consider the illustrations. For the horse, it's the rider by use of a bit who directs the animal. For the ship, it's the pilot's will the will of the pilot that uses the rudder to guide the vessel for the person it is the heart, the will that moves the tongue and guides the person's life. So what's clear here is that we need new hearts. The heart is in control and we're actually going to see that in James chapter 4 when we get there. What we're seeing now though is that our speech reflects what's actually inside our hearts. For James, our tongue can basically be seen as an extension of your heart. Your tongue is an extension of your heart. It may be a small member, but it boasts of great things. And it is ugly. It is ugly. Our tongues are ugly apart from God's grace. I can say this because I used to be young and I would stick out my tongue at my sisters. And they'd go and tattle on me. Why did me sticking out my tongue at them get them all riled up? Why was that seen as wrong? I mean, stick out your tongue. I mean, why is that? My mom said it was rude. And she's right. You know why? The tongue is ugly. I'll stop sticking out at you guys. The tongue is ugly. And actually, I read an article why so many folks 
stick out their tongues in selfies. I don't know how many see people take selfies and they stick out their tongue all the time if you look at it. This happens a lot and you know why? Sticking out the tongue, this article said, is a way of covering up the insecurities about how we look. Folks expect you to smile and pose to display your beauty. But if that makes you uncomfortable, just stick out your tongue in irony so as to look ugly intentionally. The tongue is an ugly body part. And James would agree. Listen. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Did you take all that in? Let's just divide it into three quick categories. The first category, the character of the tongue. Our tongues are microcosms, concentration points of this world's evil. Concentration points of this world's evil. It's its own world of unrighteousness. That is because unlike any other body part, our tongues can promote every kind of evil. No other body part can do that. How many fights happen that didn't start or include words? harsh words. Often before an evil deed is committed, what was at work? The tongue. That's the character. The second category, the tongue's influence. Our tongues, when uncontrolled, stain our whole person and set on fire the entire course of our life. Somebody frustrates me. A thought enters my mind, right? Who here has not opened their mouth and then regretted what ended up coming out at that moment? I see no hands. <laughs> I remember a time actually still to this day when I was an angry 12-year-old. And I let out cruel words that I know struck the heart of a dear loved one because I saw the hurt in their eyes when I said it and they ran out the door. I still regret saying those words. Our tongues can become release points. Letting loose evil thoughts, though, never helps. Letting loose evil thoughts never helps the situation. No, it actually only creates more evil and influences all those around us as well. So let's think about the third category, allegiance. Do you notice how many times Jake's, James spoke about fire here? Did you notice that? How many times have you seen the horrible forest fires that, that are in the West? Thousands of acres up in flames. What did it take to start all that? One little spark. One little spark caused all that damage. So too the tongue. Remember James talked about being unstained from the world? And now we hear how our tongues are actually worlds of themselves staining us. Do you see how powerful words are? Both what we say and what we hear? The reason why is because we are made in God's image. The same God who spoke the word, the whole world into being. But since our first parents bowed the knee to Satan, well, Satan now uses words to do the opposite, the opposite of creating, destroying. Do you understand? Our words were meant to be creating things, goodness. And now Satan, since it's been turned, he uses words to destroy. That's why James says our tongues are set on fire by hell. Do you realize that Satan happily gives our tongues its destructive power? He's happy to give you it. 
Is it any wonder that our tongues create so much trouble? <laughs> and we can't help ourselves. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Now, I have to call time out here because I really wrestle with this scripture. <laughs> I really wrestled to believe it. I have yet to witness a tamed cat. <laughs> I have yet to witness a tamed cat, nor do I believe anybody can actually tame a cat. But yes, God's word is inspired. So I have to believe that one time, a long ago in James' day, he knew a unique cat lover who actually pulled off the impossible and tamed a cat. All right, I'll bring us back. James says, look what man has done. We have tamed every kind of beast. How powerful we are, but wait. How powerful are you, James says. No one can tame this little bit of flesh between the jaws, as Martin Luther said. And James concludes by writing, it is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Hmm. A restless evil full of deadly poison. James really wants to make us go out of here and all buy muscles for ourselves, doesn't he? We can't tame the tongue. It's a restless evil with ample poison to destroy almost anything we come into contact with. This cannot be what the Christian, the one professing faith in the Lord of glory, chapter 2, does with our tongues. We just sang the song, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, let me ask you, would we dare walk out of here and curse the people then, made in our Lord and God's likeness? James says, doing that is against your very nature. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. James said back in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? Worthless, worthless. Our speech is a litmus test, revealing the nature of our religion, revealing our hearts. A spring is either a saltwater spring or a freshwater spring. Fig trees don't bear olives, they bear figs. Same is true of grapevines. Everything we see out in nature is consistent. So should we be as those remade to speak words like Jesus. I want to close us with some application here. First, when you see your tongue leading you down the wrong path, the thing you're saying, it's not going to go anywhere. Call out to God in that very moment. Confess and trust that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. And then remember his promise in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, where God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them and I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That new heart will change your tongue. Our tongues actually reveal places where our hearts still need to be remade. So turn to God knowing that 
He never disowns any of his children because of their stumbling. Yes, God hates sin, but he loves the new creation in Christ that you have become. And he wants to continue that work. Secondly, let's spend time asking God to awaken our ears and then be silent. Look into God's word, meditate on it, and wait expectantly for him to work. Go to God, say a prayer. I'm not even open my Bible yet. God, will you awaken my ears? Will you show me something here? Because I want to have an instructed tongue. Show me. Now, you may not experience anything different in that silence. You may not even see anything in the scriptures you're reading that day. But you might find yourself surprised in a situation later on that day or in that week or in that month. You're going to run into someone who's upset. Someone is hurting, distressed. And all of a sudden, God will place in your heart a word in season. And you will find that you have an instructed tongue. That is what you will do if you spend time silently asking God to speak to you and then getting into his word. Won't it be wonderful for one of you to come up to me or to someone else in our church and say, I was able to speak life into a weary soul and it's changed them. And our last point of application is praise your neighbor for God's sake. Praise your neighbor for God's sake. Many Christians look around in frustration as our culture continues to lose its moral footing. It's bad, yes. And we feel like we got a legitimate reason to gripe about all this stuff going on. And yes, even curse those people who are living godless, different lifestyles than us. As though they know how to live any differently. Majority of Americans have never heard a gospel presentation. It's by God's grace alone, if we've lived somewhat rightly, as those instructed by him. Some of our neighbors have little to no clue how to live well or to live rightly. We have no idea the confusion, the calamities, and the chaos that have been many of our friends and neighbors normal. But James tells us they still bear God's image. They still bear God's image. You realize that every person, no matter how evil they may be in your eyes, still bears the likeness of Jesus. Our first impulse ought to be to look at the ways their lives reveal the God we love. To look at them and look for how their lives reveal the God we love. Everybody that we meet reveals the God we love simply because they are hardwired to do so, even if they are not yet Christians. So praise your neighbor for God's sake. Daniel praised a pagan king, and he prefaced it by giving praise with what God had done for King Nebuchadnezzar. He can say all these great things about Nebuchadnezzar and he's beaming from ear to ear and Daniel has given all the glory to God for what he's done in Nebuchadnezzar's life. You find countless examples of this in scripture. So we have the opportunity to do the same and we may just find with our instructed tongues by praising our neighbors we can be the person who can bump them onto the path of life by our words. And I'll close with what Sam Crabtree says. Praise the image of God in them because our failure to praise them may even unwittingly abandon them on their hell-bent path, even propel them on an accelerated descending trajectory, having alienated them from the very ones who possess the truth so crucial for them to hear. We know the truth. 
Let's seek to praise our neighbor for God's sake with instructed tongues. Let's use our tongues to God's glory in 2023. Let's pray to that end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you right now and we're about to sing a song to praise you. And I ask and pray that each and every one of us will receive new measure of your spirit as we leave here and that you will, in fact, enable us not just to praise you, but then also to praise our neighbors for your sake. Will you give us instructed tongues that we may, in fact, be able to share the gospel, the good news with someone? There are so many hurting souls, and we would love to see them come into your kingdom to know the goodness that we have come to know in your son, Jesus Christ. So we have mercy on us as we leave here and continue, Lord, to speak your words of life into our ears that we may do the same for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.